Hey, thanks for joining us on Sacred Father Friday, Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not bad for on the spot thinking. Um, all right, round two of our new Sojourner, or oh, actually round three, because I'm recording this before I would have hung out with my brother, but he'll probably come before this. So we're on the weekend. We know that much, Nick. Yeah. And you can't really start your weekend or have your weekend without the jingle. So let's roll the tape. Dude, Sacred Father Saturday or, or Father Sanct- Friday. Pick your day. Yeah, set, yeah, Sanctified Saturday or Father Friday. Sanctified awesomeness. That's what this is. And um, the reality is we, we need to try and disconnect this from the days now. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be a hard thing to do. But yeah. it's actually just podcast number three for mm-hmm. Sojourner's Pod Week. That's right. And it's, it's actually just our series. We need to just start talking about Church Father Highlights. Church Father Highlights or Christian Classics or something. We need a name. We need to work this out. It's going to drive us mad. Otherwise, you know what's going to happen. We're going to keep saying Father Friday (laughs) all the way through (laughs) to the end of the freaking thing. Oh, heavens die hard. Oh, totally. Anyways. Um, All right. So we are on to, and and if you don't know what we're talking about, firstly, let's let's also do a little reformation here in that um, I am speaking to... Nick Cleveley, who is the pastor of uh, Timaru Grace Baptist Church. That's yeah. right. I was going to say Timaru, um, Timaru, the bishop. The bish- I was going to say the bishop of Timaru, <laughs> <laughs> something Black along Coke. those lines. Yeah. If I was sharper, I would have thought of something. But um, yeah, so Timaru um, is a little place in the a little bit. People know where Christchurch is usually if they're from the States. Yep. Um, so it's about two, two, two hours, hours away. Hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of, eh, well, it wasn't so rural. It was just like small town, essentially, but a yeah, lot of farms. 20, 27 to 30,000 people around a small town. Mm. But in, in New Zealand, I mean, everything's small. So it, it was, yeah, yeah, I expected it smaller. Got, it got downgraded from a city to a town at some point because wow. you know, cities are getting so big. Like right. we don't qualify as a city anymore. It was, I, I was surprisingly, you know, just like, I don't know, it was, it was pleasant. You know, it wasn't like your normal town it had everything and i don't know so i like oh, it no, it's awesome yeah it's good anyway so that's where you are i'm in wellington and i'm a pastor of grace net community church so that's who we are i um realize i don't uh, introduce uh who we are enough so hopefully that if you are uh, if you have been listening to a few of these and you have no idea where we are or what we're coming from and why our accents are so weird well actually you still don't know um, and they are weird, and that's because we're actually not from New Zealand at all, but from the blessed South Africa. Um, talk about the Bible. Yeah, we talk about Scripture. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> so, oh boy. So if you've ever watched uh, Chappie, was it Chappie or District, District Nine? Nine. Yeah, yeah, you get a sense. Blood of, Diamond. Uh, Blood Diamond. That's where we're from. Okay. Um, now that and we are going through a series. Um, that is basically tracing through the history of Christian literature. Uh, uh, just a ridiculously over um, <laughs> overconfident task, you know. And uh, you know, we're from two brilliant experts on the topic. Exactly. Well, I mean, that part's true, you know. Um, but you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You're just doomed to failure at, uh, before even setting out. And yet, 
it's undeniable that there is value in this endeavor. So um, we are going for it. And we have looked at a few um, already. Um, I won't bother recapping on those. But now we get to one uh, that's pretty awesome. And you might have heard of it before, but the martyrdom of Polycarp. Mm. Uh, and we have made mention of Polycarp already a few times uh, in connection with Irenaeus um, and the Apostle John. I mean, he's super early. We're still in the 155 to like when just before 200s, you know, and yeah, and that's early Mid, stuff. Second century, yeah. Oh. Um, so Marcus Aurelius is mm-hmm. the Caesar. Wow. And uh, this is the event that sparked Justin Martyr's first apology. Yeah. And this is uh, a first generation convert of John the Apostle. But uh, I mean, Polycarp's in his 80s. Wow. So it's, it's sort of right at the end of his life. Mm. So yeah, that puts, that puts a time frame on it. Yeah. Apparently, he, when he was a youth, he had sort of already met some of the apostles and uh, had, had sat under their ministry. Um, mm. And then later in his life, he had met Irenaeus, um, which is, you know, so they knew each other at some level and um, they, they exchanged some, some uh, correspondence, um, I believe. Um, but uh, Irenaeus, um, of course, well, I mean, together with Polycarp, I mean, they, you know, if you think about against heresies, one of the first big bits of, of writings that we have, you know, just giving us an indication of yeah. the onslaught of heresy past the the apostolic period. I mean, you've got you've got Polycarp being a real link to, I mean, probably that's why they they, they just held him so dear. I mean, this guy would have would have been able to point them in some way to the real nature of apostolic Christianity. Yeah, he would have had a few anecdotes up his sleeve, you know. Oh, wow, totally. Can yeah. you imagine? <laughs> oh, that time we sat around the table and John did this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, like, I mean, how would you not go to this guy and say, so, So you know when John said that? I mean, like, what did he What did he mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Tell just... us about John and Serinthus, like when he ran naked out the, the bar. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that story. Yeah, that... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he would know all about that stuff, or at least, um, man, I don't know. But, but he was, uh, if Eventually, the Bishop of Smyrna, which is Turkey today. And yeah. um, and so, and you know, he's famous, I suppose, most famous for his martyrdom, which is yes. um, what we're about to read an account of. Who was the, who yeah. wrote this? Um, <laughs> uh, Pioneus <laughs> is uh, the, the, the author of the one we are looking at. Right. So Pioneus, right in the last chapter of the book, he claims that he's handling, he's making a copy of the life of Polycarp. Mm-hmm. But he's adding to that copy because he's received a revelation from the dead Polycarp himself. Mm-hmm. So you know it's legit so, the whole way through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a little bit like um, who's that chick who wrote Heaven and Hell? That Mary. Someone. Oh right, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Not Mary Beckett. Uh, That's the. Yeah, not Mary Beckett. No. But the other yeah, one, just as bad. Like, yeah, the one where Jesus speaks in King James English all the time. Yes, um, that one. Yeah. <laughs> This is one of those charismatic "I went to heaven" type stories. Yes, and yeah. um, the, the, I think the importance of this book—I mean, I mean, it's hagiographic. In other words, it's got some false elements. Mm-hmm. Those false elements are built around a kernel of historical truth. Yes, Polycarp was definitely uh, martyred. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some almost mythological, miraculous stuff, and we, we're not going to be able to sift through exactly what happened. It's possible that some amazing stuff did happen, but but the, the key for this book. Is this set the mold for <laughs> martyrdom stories? Yeah. This is the book that basically um, heaps of martyrdom stories are written after this one because this one just cast the mold. Mm. And um, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, mm-hmm. um, Polycarp stories in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, even later, Eusebius, 
he quotes from a, a chastened version of this book. Okay. Um, so, hmm. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, and even the way, I mean, you kind of, I think that's important because it's it sort of, um, you know, you, there is no way to really get at the bottom of what actually happened and what didn't and what is. But, but, but at the same time, as you read it through, you do get a strong sense for what probably did happen or something, you know, it's, it's not that impossible to find value in it uh, just because yeah. it does, because the things that are happen that are crazy are, are like totally obvious, you know, <laughs> and we'll see some of those as we read through in that. Yeah. Now, it, even that level, I mean, they, as I was just saying to Nick before we, we got started, I mean, there they might well have been something amazing that could have happened. I mean, certainly uh, we've had many accounts of that sort of thing and uh, God can do amazing things. Um, but you know, I suppose you just have no obligation to believe that. Um, yes. and there's certainly no uh, bind on your soul at, at any level. But, yeah. you know, you're able claiming, to... We're not claiming this is real history. No. <laughs> but, but you know, you can even, even where, you know, there are parts of just reading through it, you kind of noticed, you know, it almost follows the passion narratives a little bit in the Gospels. Did you notice that? Yes, there was like a... Right. Almost, I wonder if that was a deliberate thing, like here's a here's a man who's following Christ. So they almost shaped the narrative of his own martyrdom so that he's walking in the footsteps of Christ. Right, exactly. So instead of trying to deify him, it's actually, it's almost a compliment to Christ by showing that this is a true follower of Christ. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and at that yeah. level, that's exactly what I was getting at. Because, I mean, you know, he, he no doubt was. And so, you know, you're getting the essential truth at that level, without a doubt. It's it's just been stylized, probably. And um, and again, you know, just, just by even noticing the way it's set out, I think you can kind of pick that up. But that doesn't have to diminish the truth, you know, no. the, of, of the situation. Yeah, was a, a follower who did die in his late life in, in a bold way uh, that yeah. obviously made a big impact on the whole Christian world at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, and so people wanted to present him as a... As a a true follower and i think key to this era is martyrdom was just one of the realities the church had to face and this is one of the things the church has used as a resource to equip god's people to face that suffering yeah so it's 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 a it's a martyrdom survival kit so from that point of view it's a very important book to read yeah Yeah, and apparently just reading a little bit of the context i mean apparently um at this point there was just a lot of i mean you can imagine the great hostility you know that that is portrayed in here um, and, and that was somewhat reflective of the way it was at that point in that, uh, you know, between the Christians and the world, you know, and you can imagine, I mean, we, we look at that and we get traces of it, but imagine, you know, Christians are being marched to their death all the time. Can you imagine yeah. how you would feel the hostility of the world, you know? Um, and, and in some sense, you get that as you read through this, you, you feel yeah. the, the cruelty of it all. And, and uh, you know, those parts were all true one way or another. So it's yeah. all there. Eventually, the, the, yeah. the powerlessness, the government corruption. I mean, Paul, in many ways, had a, quite a similar experience, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Corrupt politicians, the Jews <laughs> in on it, etc., etc. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we're reading a kind of a shortened version. Again, we're using Tony Lane's kind of um, uh, little uh, abridgment. Well, not abridgment, but just curated chapters, even, um, yeah. which I'm kind of thankful for. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't want to have to you know, have this task of figuring out which uh, which ones to pull <laughs> in and push out. the grunt work. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we're going to start on paragraph five. If you are reading through this, you can get it online somewhere. Martyrdom yeah. of Polycarp. Um, and Maybe my... just a quick word about before before we hit uh, yeah, paragraph true, five. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just two, I think, very important chapters before this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an example of a good martyr. Germanicus, mm-hmm. who dies faithfully for the Lord. And then there's the example of a bad martyr called Quintus the Apostate. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so I thought it was very interesting in paragraph four how uh, Quintus, as soon as he saw that there was government persecution against Christians, he volunteered himself for trial. Hmm. So he, he he handed himself over to yeah. the authorities, yeah. seeking the glory that comes from martyrdom. Mm. And, uh, you know, basically he was intimidated and he swore fealty to Caesar and offered a sacrifice to Caesar and reneged on his faith. Wow. And uh, the, the last line of paragraph four says this, Wherefore, brethren, we do not commend those who give themselves up to suffering, seeing the gospel does not teach so to do. Mm. I find that helpful. So mm. just um, although they're, they, they're, they're sort of capturing uh, an, an account of martyrdom to inspire the Christian church, mm. they're not glorifying it stupidly and throwing wisdom out the window. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's actually so huge. Just a, yeah, yeah, that, that, that should be in there totally. I, I would have put yeah. that in there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, thankful I'm not making that decision. Yeah, nice one. Okay, good. Um, do you want to pick it up from paragraph five? Then? Yeah, sure. Paragraph five. So, uh, yes. But the most admirable Polycarp, when he first heard that he was sought for, was in no measure disturbed, but resolved to continue in the city. However, in deference to the wish of many, he was persuaded to leave it. He departed, therefore, to a country house not far distant from the city. There he stayed with a few friends, engaged in nothing else night and day than praying for all men <laughs> and for the churches throughout the world, according to his usual custom. And while he was praying, a vision presented itself to him, three days before he was taken. And behold, the pillow under his head seemed to him on fire. Upon this, turning to those that were with him, he said to them prophetically, I must be burnt alive. Hmm. Okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. I suppose we need to so, play yeah, a game. Maybe always... one, one, one question that, yeah. you know, here's a question for you. Okay. If you know that martyrdom is breaking out in the city that you're in, do you have to stay and face the persecution or are you allowed to flee? Yeah, I think it's a yes, no, maybe depends thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, didn't Jesus say, you know, flee the city and go to the next one? Yeah, totally. When he was speaking I, to the disciples? I would say as a default, I mean, that would definitely be, you know, the, the obvious thing. I mean, no one's walking into it. Otherwise, you'll, you'll never have that. I don't think you'll ever have that peace and that you'd need, you know, that, that calm of mind knowing that there was no providential other way for this to happen. This was, this was yeah. you know, this is necessary. Um, and if you went into it too soon, I think you would, you know, face that chapter four scenario. Um, you know, and even if you, if you didn't bail out, I mean, you know, you still... It, was it the right thing? But then uh, the only reason I make some something of an exception there is that I, you know, I can obviously there there might be a situation where um, you know almost like Paul uh, himself, you know, heading toward Jerusalem, yep. um, you know, where the precedent is there somehow in that you know th there might even be a pastoral concern that if you did leave, you know, that was going to be. Uh, more damaging to the gospel than if you stayed, even if in your staying you would probably die. Um, yeah. You know, I think I know th those Paul kinds was of given things. a vision that he would, uh, you know, bear testimony before kings and leaders. Yeah. And so he, he knew he was headed to Caesar. Yeah. Um, so that, that was part of his resignation. But I, I suppose one other aspect as well is that the pastors of the flocks often stayed. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, so the, the flock were often encouraged to run, but the pastors, the shepherds, um, exactly, and Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. Right, uh, they did often stay. 
Totally. And I could, I could see that. I mean, I wouldn't make that a categorical rule either, but I think no. you know, they could be, I could see situations. I've heard of situations where, you know, look, no one's going to judge anyone if they, if they run, let's put it that way. But I think sometimes you'd have to not lay down the whole, Hey, you just died for the sake of being a martyr and the glory of it. I, I wouldn't want to throw that at them, you know, at those points. I mean, I think there are some legit pastoral concerns. Um, the, but you know, like what what you mentioned, um, you know, you've got you've got supernatural revelation guiding Paul there. <clears throat> it's yes. interesting that you know he claims the same year, <clears throat> but yeah. you know we're not going to ever make that claim. We've got to work on these on these norms and these principles. I think of things like Luther and the Reformation and uh, the wisdom of of his moving and hiding and. Um, all of those sort of near moments for him, you know, I think it was a really good thing that he ended up avoiding a premature death, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there was a guy who just obviously, you know, felt it was a, it was a good idea um, to, to stay as safe as possible, you know, so yeah. that you can keep on, keep on fighting. I think the whole thing is that as soon as it becomes cowardly or disingenuous or, you know, is seen to be such and so brings reproach upon the gospel rather than a testimony yes. to it. I think I think probably that's the only uh, reason yeah. I would want to leave I mean, that If you were a young open. man, if you were a young man with a young family, you would have a responsibility to your family to survive. <clears throat> yeah. But if you're a man in your late 80s and you've lived a long life and you've got no family that you need to be there for. Mm. You know, <laughs> that's true. And what, you know, what, what's a few what's a few days here or there? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, true. But you you might as well go out in, in a blaze of glory, literally. Um, but the um, other thing I think of John Bunyan. You know, there was a, that was an interesting case. Uh, yes. That might derail us, but there he was in jail for so long, though his family is sort of destitute. You know. Yes. Um, and. Yeah, All he, he had to do was agree that he wouldn't preach. I know, which is, you know, kind of an agreeable <laughs> thing at that level, you know. Um, so, yeah, anyways, this is another story. I think we'll probably get to Bunyan in this book. So, mm. you know, we'll talk about it then. But um, all right, let's 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 move on. Let's make sure we get through all of this. Um, right, which chapter are we jumping to? to? Now, Polycarp gets captured, essentially. So we're just jumping over all the way to paragraph nine. And okay. uh, I'll pick it up from there. Uh, he says, now as Polycarp entered the stadium, a voice came to him from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who spoke to him, but those brethren who were present heard the voice. And as he was brought forward, the commotion became great when they heard that Poly Polycarp was taken. And when he came near, the proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On his confessing that, he's what, that he was, the proconsul sought to persuade him to deny Christ, saying, have respect to your old age and other similar things according to their custom, such as swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say away with the atheists. Polycarp gazed with a stern countenance on all the wicked heathen in the stadium, waved his hand toward them, groaning and looking up to heaven and said, away with the atheists. <laughs> then the proconsul urged him, saying, swear and I will set you free. Revile Christ, Polycarp declared. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Mm, amen. Beautiful so, words. Yeah, and you know, I think probably that's where you probably got one of the truer, truer um, paragraphs, if if at all. You know, I, cause the reason I say that is those, if you know, they would be the commonly 
remembered moments, right? You know, if you're going to put mm. out something like this, there would have been people there <clears> and they would have been able to witness it. And and um, this would have been a public conversation and a memorable one at that, almost like, um, again, you got your Luther and your, you know, these famous conversations um, uh, in these difficult, uh, difficult scenarios. And um, I mean, by the whole, I suppose we have to play the game all the way through. Could it have happened that he saw a vision that said, you know, saw a pillar on fire? Could it have happened that a voice came from heaven? You know, and I suppose the answer to all of those, for me anyway, is just um, it could have, you know. Perhaps, um, yeah. But it's not know, inspired. We're not obligated to believe it. Exactly. But God is God is a God of power. He can do these things. Totally. And And the thing is, I think, you know, I, for me, it's just it, it's just interesting that it's a pillow, you know, and it kind of reminds me of Peter's vision with the sheet and the, the animals, and and then you got the voice from heaven, and it just strikes a little too similar to the gospel or just the stories and the narratives, and I I feel like that probably was an embellishment, you know, it just feels like it, you know, if you, and I suppose I'm working off the the baseline of imagine you had to be in a situation seeing someone in this scenario. I mean, it, could, it would be quite reasonable to see this exchange go down, you know? And yeah. so I don't see any reason to doubt that. Um, but as soon as I'm starting to see little traces of, of, uh, things that, that, um, that sort of emulate what, what happened in a clearly amazing. And, and it's certainly, you know, if, if a voice come comes from heaven to testify that Christ is, is the Messiah, you know, I mean, that's a different thing entirely, you know, that, yeah. that's, you could see why God would do that. And then, uh, likewise with, with Peter's vision. So, anyways, but I know that uh, interestingly, Polycarp is is referenced a lot as well. With um, you know, when talking about um, miracles and prophetic giftings past the apostolic period, I think Grudem even makes uh, a lot of this, um, which is interesting. You know, yeah, that's uh, and that's that was what uh, Warfield would pick on, wouldn't he? Mm, yeah, Warfield looks at the whole history of Catholic miracles and tears them to shreds. Exactly. They're just not at the same yeah. level, yeah. <laughs> All right, but anyways, um, you know that aside, um, powerful, and they they obviously thought of the Christians as atheists, uh, having denied their yes. Roman gods, and he's just throwing it back on them. So that's clever, one way or another. And I mean, um, you know, you know, what just stands out for me is the Book of Revelation. You know, you've got this beast, the persecuting power, uh-huh. killing Christians. You've got the mark of the beast, yes. you know, swearing allegiance to Caesar. It's all happening right here. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. And thought about you know, that because ordinarily the Roman Caesar apotheosis was the process of de- deifying them after they died, mm-hmm. and some of the Caesars didn't wait. So, like Nero demanded worship while he was alive, Domitian demanded worship while he was alive, right? And um, even some of the provinces, like we see here, were demanding loyalty and fealty to Caesar and you know making a sacrifice, <clears throat> right? Entering into idolatrous practice that relate to Caesar worship, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just. Book of Revelation right here. For sure. Once I, that's amazing. Good. All right, cool. Get the next paragraph. Chapter 10. Mm-hmm. And when the proconsul yet again pressed him and said, Swear by the fortune of Caesar, he answered, Since thou art vainly urgent that as thou sayest, I should swear by the fortune of Caesar, and pretendest not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn what the doctrines of Christianity are, Appoint me a day, and thou shalt hear them. The proconsul replied, Persuade the people. But Polycarp said, To thee I have thought it right to offer an account of my faith, for we are taught to give all due honor, which entails no injury upon ourselves, to the powers and authorities which are ordained of God. 
But as for these, I do not deem them worthy of receiving any account from me. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it comes through the whole, um, you know, even just the heathen, the wicked heathen in the stadium. And, um, you know, away with the atheists. And, you know, it seems like it's scorn from Christianity towards the unbeliever at this point, you know, which is slightly different to the way we would think and speak about it. Um, but is again, he loving his enemies? <laughs> what's that? Is he loving his enemies? Yeah, is he loving his enemies? It's very different from Christ on the cross at that point. Um, but, you know, you can understand it too. Uh, you know, I've. I've constantly thinking, man, how would I do in this situation? And I don't know that I would do a lot better, <laughs> probably do yeah. a lot worse. And uh, you could see how you would have a lot of, uh, you know, Lord, rescue me from my hatred from these people who are obviously so so hate you and hate me at the same time, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> we do see the difference to authority, which we see in Christ, we right, see it in Paul, right. um, yeah. you know, even quoting scripture there in terms of giving all due honor to the authorities. It is interesting um, that that gets emphasized rather than loving yeah. your enemies, right? It's just uh, it seems like like the, the the less obvious one to emphasize, but um, yeah. and perhaps it's an apologetic just to show that Christians are in submission to the government, mm. and so the government should be picking on them. Maybe there's that undercurrent of apologetic argument going on. Totally, yeah. Cool. All right, paragraph eleven. Mm. Uh, the Proconsul, is that how you pronounce it? Proconsul. I say proconsul, but, you know, I don't know. Where do you get your unsul from? It's a, it's a proconsul. Order. Proconsul. I don't know. I'm going to go with proconsul. 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 The guy, proconsul. the proconsul, said <laughs> to him, I have wild beasts here and I will throw you to them unless you repent. But he answered, call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. It is a good thing for me to change, uh, be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. Again, the Proconsul said to him, If you will not repent, I will have you burnt alive, seeing you despise the wild, wild beasts. But, but Polycarp at least said, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is quenched after a little while, but you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Do what you will. Mm. Awesome. Sounds like Leonard Ravenhill. <laughs> and I mean, I think what we what we hear there is just the, the eternal perspective coming in and saying wild beasts don't matter. Mm -hmm. Temporary fires don't matter. You know, eternal punishment and eternal reward are the things that are driving us. Mm. And mm. Uh, amen. And you get in that classic moment of, you know, and again, this would not be. It's bold for sure, and it's awesome, but it probably you know would have happened at some level like this. Uh, it's not uncommon to hear in this moment that the martyrs are filled with a boldness. Um, that, you know, it's just seeing they're so close, and they just you know, uh, as Jesus promised, you know, there would be words given at this point. You know, so um, there he is going for it. Yeah. And actually, it starts off. I'm just reading ahead while he was speaking like this. He was filled with courage and joy. So. That's it. Yeah. Um, cool. You want to carry on with that one? Sure. While he spoke these and many other, other like things, he was filled with confidence and joy, and his countenance was full of grace, so that not merely did it not fall as if troubled by the things said to him, but on the contrary, the proconsul was astonished and sent his herald to proclaim in the midst of the stadium thrice, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. This proclamation having been made by the herald, the whole multitude, both of the heathen and Jews, who dwelt at Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable fury and in a loud voice, This is the teacher of Asia, 
the father of the Christians and the overthrower of our gods, he who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. Speaking thus, they cried out and besought Philip the Asiarch to let loose a lion upon Polycarp. But Philip answered that it was not lawful for him to do so, seeing the shows of wild beasts were already finished. Then it seemed good to them to cry out with one consent that Polycarp should be burnt alive. For thus it behooved the vision which was revealed to him in regard to his pillow to be fulfilled. When seeing it on fire, as he was praying, he turned about and said prophetically to the faithful that were with him, I must be burnt alive. Hmm. Wow. You know what that sounds like to me? What? Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus, hmm. and the uh, the whole city is getting into an uproar. Right. Or Artemis of the Ephesians. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. But, you know, in terms of a vision, and at this point, you know, just something to encourage him, it's definitely one of the more believable parts of this, you know, um, especially as we get to what's coming. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a replay of a lot of... Uh, and I mean, it, it could just be, it could be framed in this way to say, hey, guys, Here's a repeat of the seed of the serpent right. trying to crush out the seed of the woman. Yeah. Maybe deliberately cast in this way to just mm. say that there is a recapitulation here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there is a sl- probably a slight embellishment, but only to emphasize the parallel. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see how, um, because, I mean, again, you got the transmission of the original in view and, you know, to what degree was the original embellishment? How has that, you know, moved on from that point and been further embellished? And, you know, so it's, it's I don't know anything about any of that, but those are inter- interesting questions I'd want to look at in trying to get mm. to this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it really it's certainly believable in terms of everything, as we were saying earlier, of revelation and persecution. And as you were saying now, the, the, the classic lines of themes, I suppose, that we should expect at some level. So uh, valuable there. Um, all right. For, and paragraph 13. And yep. By the way, I like proconsul a lot better. I've decided. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. You, you said that really, you said that really well. I like the way proconsul. <laughs> that was great. I think I'm going to run with that. All right. This was carried into effect with greater speed than it takes to tell. The crowds immediately collected wood out of the shop and baths. Immediately, they surrounded him with the material that he had been prepared for the, the sorry that had been prepared for the funeral pile. Uh, when they were about also to fix him to the stake with nails, he said, "Leave me be, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me to remain in the pile without moving, without your securing me by nails." Um, all right, that's the end. Okay, um, quick, quick yeah. paragraph there. Um, all right, so yeah crazy yep. the heat of it nothing fancy going on there pretty no. standard pretty, pretty straightforward standard, yeah i just don't understand why they then bound him were they, were they talking about nails like as in nail nail his hands like, kind of like nail him to the stake like his body to the stake like, yeah so like his hands oh yeah okay right but then they bound him anyway even after he said that so yeah really... so they bound him instead of nailing him because some people might have tried to run away from the fire when it started cooking um, and he's saying, guys, you don't need to nail me here. Oh, God will like, give me strength to stay it. in the fire. So so the ropes might have burned away and they need something. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Um, all right, cool. Let's go for it. Oh, this is an amazing paragraph, right. actually. This is the this is the best one. His prayer. 
It was awesome. All right. Alrighty. Well, let's read it. Mm -hmm. They did not nail him then, but simply bound him. And he, placing his hands behind him and being bound like a distinguished ram taken out of a great flock for sacrifice and prepared to be an acceptable burnt offering unto God, looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers, and of every creature, and of the whole race of the righteous who live before thee. I give thee thanks that thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should have a part in the number of thy martyrs and the cup of thy Christ, to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body, through the incorruption imparted by the Holy Ghost, among whom may I be accepted this day before thee as a fat and acceptable sacrifice, according as thou, the ever-truthful God, hast foreordained, hast revealed beforehand to me, and now hast fulfilled. Wherefore also I praise thee for all things. I bless thee, I glorify thee, glorify thee along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, with whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory both now and to all coming ages. Amen. Mm, awesome. <laughs> That's, you know what I yeah. like about that? Very glorifying prayer. It is a glorifying prayer, but it's just filled with just sound, awesome theology right there. You know, it's just, yeah. it's it's the call. Coordination is in there. I know. And it's... The Trinity what, is in Trinities. There. It's just, you know, what it keeps coming to mind is like, this is what Christians pray, you know? It doesn't matter which denomination Amen. you're in. This is a Christian prayer at the call. Um, Resurrection I mean, of soul and body. Yeah. It's so yeah. awesome. I Good love theology it. in there. It's great. I mean, it's quite powerful it just you know hits you in the face as you kind of because you're almost like ready to just get all this weird stuff you know coming out but but then you see these little sections that are just so profound and perfect and you wouldn't touch them so that's great um cool well getting to the action then when he had concluded his prayer with amen the fireman lit the fire and as the flame blazed forth in a great in a great fury we to whom it was given to witness it beheld a great miracle and have been spared that we might report to others what happened. The fire, shaping itself into the form of an ark, like the sail of a ship filled with wind, made a wall around the body of the martyr. And he appeared within, not like flesh which is burned, but like bread that is baked, or gold and silver glowing in a furnace. We perceived such a sweet odor coming from the pile as if frankincense or some such precious spice had been smoking there. Let's carry on reading. We can pick it up later. All right. Do it. At length, when those wicked men perceived that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to go near and pierce him through with a dagger. And on his doing this, there came forth a dove and a great quantity of blood, so that the fire was extinguished. And all the people wondered that there should be such a difference between the unbelievers and the elect, of whom this most admirable Polycarp was one, having in our own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher, and a bishop of the Catholic Church, which is in Smyrna, where every word that went out of his mouth either has been or shall yet be accomplished. Oof. <laughs> so you know, that does a full circle back to this guy getting this whole thing via uh, Polycarp yeah. himself. Or was it Irenaeus that appeared in the vision? Who was the guy who appeared in the vision to the to the one writing this? 
uh, Polycarp himself. Polycarp himself, okay. Yeah. yeah, right. So it's just kind of... <laughs> yeah, um, so it's getting a bit freaky at this point. I mean, there may have been some uh, anomalies around the burning. You know, we, we've heard of martyrdoms where the, the fire didn't light properly and yes. the person didn't burn. Um, and so they had to resort to other means. So this may be something similar, but it, that may have been embellished with all sorts of other things. But to stab a guy and then a dove to come out and enough fire to put out a bonfire, yeah. uh, enough blood to put out a bonfire, that's like... I don't think so. It's kind of like a horror movie mixed with, um, you know, like, <laughs> like some, some um, like, what is the, um, oh, almost infancy Gospel of Thomas feel about it, you know? Yeah. Just that. You know, over... I, I I've, I've got a, a, you know, I want to pick on Christians for a moment. Uh-oh. Christians can be really, they can really lack integrity. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are willing to believe a lie about their enemies, any lie. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to believe any truth about about the, about Christians, mm-hmm. and I, I feel that shows a real lack of integrity. Mm-hmm. Like um, I can't remember what it was I was listening to the other day, where they were just talking about the conspiracy theory of you know some Muslims trying to take over the American government and controlling the oil fields, and mm. you know, and just because it's the Muslims, Christians, you know, they get a hold of these theories and they start passing them around Facebook or whatever it is, mm-hmm. just because you know it's it's Islam. Mm-hmm. They're willing to believe any lie about it. Yeah. And then on the other hand, the opposite extreme, which which is also a lack of integrity, we have, you know, these mythological accounts mm. of uh, things that have happened in the past to Christians, and we just gullibly believe it because it's Christian. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, yeah. I can't go with that. No, and it's it, Christianity doesn't call you to. That's the thing. I think no, that's the biggest exactly. thing for me. It's just a made-up version. Because it's God's word, you have to believe it. Yeah. You don't have to believe everything a Christian says because they're Christians. Yeah, absolutely. The Bible is is by by its very nature authoritative. Mm, it mm. demands your belief, but this does not. Yeah, it, it relates to the sufficiency of Scripture issue, to uh, the cessationism issue, to uh, all of those things. Liberty of conscience, um, you know, they're very very important. You know, and they're almost always circulating at some some form. You know, whether you're reading something in the past or hearing something in the present, it's vital that Christians understand what God himself requires of people. You know, otherwise, you know, you think think of Jesus' ministry, the only thing he's getting irritated with is that people are adding to the commandments of God the superstitions and traditions and doctrines of men, right? And, yeah. um, you know, it's just like, if anything, you're seeing, you're seeing us needing to move in the other direction, to just steer right away from that stuff. Um, and at very minimum, to, to, be, to be, there's almost a skepticism that I think the Bible itself creates, you know, um, yes. w- because you have believed not in a blind, irrational leap into darkness, but, but you've really calculated, you know, maybe it wasn't the, the big calculation the first time you heard and believed, but part of your wanting to wrestle with faith, I mean, the Bible leads you in a way that, that it really brings about a lot of rationality and thought and consideration. And so to throw that all away and just kind of, you know, it's just... And it, what it does is it, it destroys gullibility. Because yes. you're not willing to any believe anything that's not God's word. Exactly. And so t- it, you automatically become discerning because you refuse to give your belief and your faith to something that's purely man's word and made up. Mm. So gullibility becomes destroyed when you have the respect for God's word in its proper place. Yes. Yeah. And that's a powerful testimony. I think that, you know, you need to stand firm on the miracles. You need to stand firm on the supernatural. You need to witness to the gospel. You need to be bold, you know, be ready for the lions, all of that. But, you know, not in such a way that presents to the world that, you know, it's a freak, it's a freakish kind of, 
you know, it's something <laughs> like something like the Mormons would would you know believe. You know, they don't have that threshold and criterion uh, that yeah, we're looking I mean, for. Think back to your time at the Charismatic Church. How many miracles had people said they had seen? Yeah. Well, they knew someone who had seen a miracle. Mm. Oh, yeah, bro, this, don't even get me started. Yeah. Exactly, man. Yeah. This is like that for me. Exactly. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it, it helps to just be, you know, to be more critical of the charismatic movement on those fronts than even the unbeliever. I think that that probably helps the cause of Christianity rather than harms it at this point, because people need to know not everyone believes that stuff. And uh, that's not what Christianity is all about. But hey, this is taking us into, this is taking us from you having words and picking on Christians <laughs> to a whole nother show, which uh, we can't do right now because it's Friday and people right. want to get to their weekends. So um, there we go. Martinum of Polycarp and yeah. other things. And wait a minute, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing before we go. One more thing. What is that thing? The thing is, we don't want men's words. We want God's words. So go to church. Go to church. Boom. Mic drop. Go to church. See you next week. Mm-hmm.